Hello everyone and welcome back to a woman's face podcast. This is part two of a, of a of a podcast of a freak out of a you know general ranting not ranting is a long word educational piece on why we are not living in the socialist republican republican dream that was once promised to us by our 1916 leaders. So in our last podcast, you should go back and listen to it because we outline, we give a, an outline of the numbers and of the, the voting, the disenfranchisement of women between the ages of 21 and 30 and also over 30 um, during the very important general elections of 1922, which um, was basically a, general, a, a referendum on pro or anti-treaty um, TDs and you know, the whole proposal that was going on at the time should we accept the county republic or not um, and so if you go back and listen to that podcast you'll listen to how the raw, you get the raw numbers and the percentages and a general discussion about what that actually meant because um, spoiler women were denied the vote during that general election um, so yeah, go back and listen to that and go back and listen to No Backs, No Dogs, No, No Backs, No Irish, No Democracy as well, um, because that also talks about, and what the public is now, let's ask Circa, because that talks about um, democracy and what democracy means and, and what both actually mean as well. So go back and listen to those before you listen to this. And we are, where do we leave off Circa? So we are right. Um, we're basically in the civil war now. Um, civil war is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So. So let's just remind Kate, everyone what happened with the vote and with the with, with Michael Collins sitting on the wings in June. Yeah. So um, the civil war really started in like January 1922 when anti-treaty TDs walked out of the Doyle and refused to come back. Um, they then in March they began planning then and in March they took over the four courts in Dublin which is like the administrative hub of of Ireland and had like really important you know like really loads of really important records and stuff and they're sitting in the four courts they've kind of made it like a garrison or they've like taken it over and Michael Collins is just kind of sitting back and he actually receives the message from Churchill telling him that if he doesn't attack the four courts uh, Churchill will do it for him but Michael is waiting Michael was waiting for the results of the 1922 general election which as Christina said was essentially just a um it was essentially a referendum on the on, on the treaty so go back and listen to our previous podcast if you haven't to understand I suppose why the the pro-treaty side won there but when the pro-treaty side won that um Michael Collins kind of took that as that he had a mandate to get rid mm. of these anti-treaty IRA or irregulars, as they would sometimes be known. So he attacked the four courts, got blown up. We lost loads of important historical records. So much stuff. Oh, so sad. Um, but then the fighting continued kind of all around the country. And a lot of the women who were involved in Cumberland and Cumberland itself came out against the treaty. They did not believe in the treaty and they aided and abetted all of the anti-treaty IRA men around the country. 
Um, as the civil war went on, there were real atrocities on both sides. A lot of anti-treaty irregulars were arrested and then executed by the Free State government, which left a sour, very sour taste in a lot of people's mouths because they felt that, okay, yes, they're not doing what they should be doing maybe now, you know, committing all of these atrocities. But these were the men who got us our our freedom from Britain. These were the men who put their lives on the line and the Free State government was executing them. So that left a really sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, but particularly in women's mouths. Um, they were denied, as we said, um, the right to fully be franchised in the 1922 general election. And that was deliberate on the part of the likes of Arthur Griffith and, um, and Michael Collins, but it would not be it would not be the last time that suspicions of politicised women would form a part of the Irish Free State political discourse. So the Civil War ended basically because the anti-treaty side ran out of guns and, and men and had to sign to say that they were going to stop um, shooting people. So in the 1923 election for the fourth Doyle, uh, young women between the ages of 20 and 30 were included. And this was um, reflected in the election of five women TDs, Kathleen Bruja, Kathleen Lynn, Mary Maxweeney, Constance Markovich, and Margaret Collins O'Driscoll. But four of them were Sinn Féin abstentionists and wouldn't take their seats. And Collins O'Driscoll, who was a member of Common the Mon, um, always voted to the party line, even when that vote was against women's rights. Mm-hmm. She was common. Miguel through and through and had no intention of voting against the party and the absence of these politicians who would have and should have fought for women's rights in the Doyle impacted on the ability of women to to resist this regressive anti-women policy of the Irish Free State from the very beginning. There were four women senators who campaigned for women's rights but their impact was limited as is the impact of of the Shannon now like you know um the Shannon don't, I hate to say they don't do anything. I really do. I hate to say that. But their impact is mainly, and was at this time, it, it's mainly a kind of, ah, please. Ah, ah, please, would you do this? I think, I think interestingly, the Shannon with the introduction of like Len Ruan and um, what's that other woman? She's a traveler. She Kathleen? <laughs> Um, one I'll, I'll find her name two, please um i think that like lynn ruan has been amazing this last couple yeah. of months she has been so great because she's you know she has a she has a, a degree in philosophy she is so well educated so well spoken and and she's from a just, she's a real person yeah real she's a real she's woman. an actual person and you know, she who has, it has been quite like a cultural it's just been like almost like you know it's kind of been philosophical you know and 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 been able to have like the kind of conversations that are coming out of the Senate are actually quite big debates and big mm. ideas you know so that has been to me I've been like wow that's amazing to have that but you can never see those com- you never see those conversations in the doll because they're I suppose at loggerheads and they're you know it's such a competition mm. Whereas in the Shannon, it yeah. appears anyway that they're having like real conversations, conversations sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So her name is um, Senator Eileen Flynn. 
Eileen Flynn, that's it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So she was she served as um, a senator since June 2020. Mm-hmm. And she is a member of the traveling community mm-hmm. um, who was raised on a halting site in Ballyfermot. So mm-hmm. she has, in, in my eyes, and I, I work a lot with the traveler community, she has a real voice that hasn't been heard before, mm-hmm. particularly uh, by the general public in, in general, because unfortunately, um, voices of travelers are, are not uh, highlighted in Ireland. But also, she is not only a traveler, she's also a working class, a working class woman, you know, like mm-hmm. Linderwan. So we're hearing hearing voices that we haven't heard before. Exactly. And that would that be... arguably wouldn't have been voted in as well. Yeah. And this is the problem with what we're going to talk about now with yeah. the, the fourth Doyle was that um, there were no there were very few women who were making any noise. And therefore, the men just rode roughshod over any of the rights that we had had previously. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as we spoke about in the last podcast, um, the 1922 constitution had guaranteed citizens, religious and civil liberty, equal rights and equal opportunities regardless of their gender, okay? So that was considered to be, and to a lot of anti-treaty women um, and anti-treaty TDs, they refused to accept the 1937 constitution and said that the 1922 constitution was the only constitution because um, it was written by, in their eyes, real patriots, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but despite these promises of equality, the state and the church, the model of an acceptable Irish woman was a respectable, married, reproductive woman not an unmanageable revolutionary who had fought with coming them on or feminists who had campaigned for women's rights. Irish women's citizenship was, according to the increasingly conservative free state and the powerful and influential Catholic church, the woman's life was to be domestic, defined by her life in the home, marriage and motherhood. That was what they wanted. So the pro-treaty government lost the support of Sinn Féin and they had to form a new political party, Common the Mon. Most political, common, I keep saying Common the Mon when I mean to say Common the Gale. I apologise. Common the Gale. The, yeah, the new party that was formed after the, the treaty was Common the Gale. And funnily enough, in a very unusual turn of events, you know the way most political parties start out to gain power? Mm-hmm. Common the Gale already had the power. Mm. They were already in power. They were the government. So they just kind of did it all rebrand, you know, rebranded themselves. Um, and it was very much centre right and very conservative, but particularly um, and really um, this kind of really speaks to the political landscape of Europe at the time. They were very anti-communist. Right. So this is like the, it was from the Gale as a modern um, Fine Gael, correct? Yeah, yeah. They're, they like to they like to dance around it, but that's where their origins are. Gail, Gail, come the no. Gail, Gail, Gail. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Even though it's spelled two different ways, um, but yeah, there. This is this is where they come from. This is what their political background is. Um, is centre right, conservative, um, you know, anti feminist, basically. Yeah. So. Between 1923 and 1932, the Cumla Gael government passed a series of measures that chipped away at women's rights and promoted the discourse of women in the home. This mm-hmm. is before the constitution now. So we're talking like, as I said, 1923 to 1932. 
So they took away the woman's right to sit on juries, the right to work in certain areas of the civil service. They introduced the marriage bar, which to anyone not from Ireland was this law that you had to give up your job when you got married if you were employed in any way, shape or form by the government. Mm-hmm. If you were a nurse, a teacher, a civil servant, a secretary, anything like that, you had to give up your job. And obviously, it goes without saying that this massively impacted the ability of women to participate in politics or work outside the home. Yeah. And this happened because there were no women really in the Doyle to fight against this. Right, but like, for, I imagine that the, the refusal to take your seat is like a protest against the, the legitimacy of that doll in the first place. Yeah, and, and that's no, a very Republican thing to do. Yeah, and number two, four, was it four or five TDs? How much are they... How yeah, much how, they, much are they going to make, how much are they going to make an impact? But at least there would have been a discourse. Yeah. You know, they might not have been able to stop it. I but think, I definitely yeah. think that there would have been a discourse, particularly some of the more fiery women TDs, like mm-hmm. Countess Markovitz who was not afraid to stand up and speak her mind. Mary McSweeney, again, the sister of Terence McSweeney, who died on hunger strike. She, she, as we spoke about in our interview with the author, Clodagh Finn, she was the woman who refused to recognise the free state and uh, like sent back checks to them because she said that they weren't a legitimate government. You know, understand her if, she had, yeah, if she had taken her seat in the Doyle, um, would things have been different? Would there have, or would there at least have been a discourse around this, you know? Yeah, I think so. Um, sorry now, but I, I just like, it's just, I can imagine the absolute fury and rage that would exist in you, that you would be like to exist in that space at that time when it was so contentious that like it was uh, like almost physically impossible to put yourself in that place you know what I mean like you'd be so consumed with anger and betrayal that potentially like I think I'd be like that where I wouldn't be able to be productive or constructive in any way yeah um I I I agree about the the anger, because as we spoke about briefly in the last podcast, you know, one of the reasons why um, Ireland turned like it did from revolution, from Turkish socialist revolutionary republic into what we ended up with was because a lot of the big thinkers, a lot of the men with the ideas had died Mm. and the women obviously as well. But, you know, the big thinkers like um, James Connolly, Tom Clark, Podrick Pierce, Amy Kant, they are the ones who wrote the proclamation they are the ones who who got up in 1916 and and um and, and put their lives on the line and all the hotties were killed and then we were left with fools i know i know foods. like look at roger casement can you imagine roger casement had survived a man who had spent his entire life um like showing human rights abuses all over the world and mm. who was made a sir by the British Empire and then threw it back in their faces for the cause of Irish independence. Can you imagine him Babes. like as our president? Like, he not, and was he was gay, an no? absolute hottie. He was gay, yeah. And they released yeah. his diaries in order to oh, discredit I saw that him during his treaty Yeah. Or that. Better not be what <laughs> I think it is. You better not have brought my diary to school. I had to 
I was doing my book report on it. I had to. I'm doing my book report on it. I love Orla. She's so funny. I had to. I had to. I'm basing my entire smear campaign on it. Now, I apologize to any of our listeners from the North about my terrible accent. I had um, to. Yeah, but you, We're look, doing the dark girl's accents. Yeah, go on anyway. It gets an awful doing. So yeah. I don't feel that bad. Oh my God. Do this segue. Um, do you know Ty Kiki, the comedian? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. He put up the funniest video today. Where in it's titled "Is Dairy Tight?" question mark, and he was just like, "I'm just in Belfast there now," and like, you know, I was looking, you know, the way you'd be looking at the ticket sales and dairy then for the weekend. Well, I was looking away at them anyway, and like, I mean, I wasn't saying this now, but some lads in Belfast were like, you know, they're because all, all my shows are sold out in Belfast. They were like, "Yeah, well, fucking, you know, everyone in Dairy's tight, like, you know." And he was like, I mean, I'm not saying it like, I mean, I'm not saying it or anything. It was, it was just a really funny piece of like marketing where he went, came on, basically he was like, <laughs> called a whole city tight for not coming to him. Cavan. 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 So, anywho, um, Come and the Gale were voted out of government in 1932 but not before they had passed laws censoring information about contraceptives and then outlawing access to contraceptives altogether. Mm. Um, and in 1932, a new Fianna Fáil government led by Eamon de Valera came to power. And um, I suppose there would have definitely been a sense, a small sense of hope among the women of the country that, you know, something was going to change. Maybe they were going to fit, but no, no. Long-time feminist campaigner Hannah Sheethy Skeffington said she had absolutely no belief in De Valera, who was well-meaning, of course, but essentially conservative and church-bound, anti-feminist, bourgeois, and the rest. Do you know what it's reminding me of very much is very, like, Republicans, Democrats, Republicans bring in, like, some draconian fucking measure, and then the Democrats in America do absolutely nothing to... To reverse it when they're in. To reverse it, yeah. Yeah. Um, So... Fianna Fáil continued the anti-women policies of Come and the Gale enacting legislation that further defined a woman's place in the home. In 1935, the government introduced the Criminal Law Act, Section 17 of which imposed a complete ban on the importation and sale of artificial contraceptives. Uh, I love that, that they, they specified artificial as if like they were going to let any natural contraceptives into the country. Like mm. they were just, just no. In 1936, they properly enshrined the uh, marriage bar in law and they also gave the minister for labor the power to restrict the employment of women workers in any industry so the minister for labor essentially had the power to say you cannot employ more than 10 percent women you cannot employ more than 20 percent women Um, over any industry he had that power uh, like you have to remember now a lot of our industries were state-owned don't get me wrong like the ESB and stuff was state-owned but there were obviously a lot of industries in Ireland that were not state-owned mm-hmm. this all culminated then in the 1932 1937 constitution okay which we've spoken about before but essentially the 1937 constitution was written by Eamon de Valera and a civil servant but also with heavy input from Bishop John Charles McQuaid who then became Archbishop John Charles McQuaid. While he was not responsible for writing it, that was primarily written by a civil servant named John Harn. He bombarded Eamon de Valera with letters every single day, sometimes twice a day, with viewpoints, suggestions, documents, references on every aspect of what would eventually become Bonrock's Meharan. 
he was a persistent advisor and has been described as several um, by several historians, including John Cooney, as one of the great architects of the Constitution, albeit in the shadows. So he, um, John Charles McQuaid, essentially was the church's voice for the Constitution, and the church had a very loud voice in that. The, for the church, the woman in the home was the moral cornerstone of the new state. And if people remember our podcast about nuns in Ireland, you mm. remember that I said that before um, Catholic emancipation in the 1860s, there were actually very few priests, very few nuns in Ireland. And we spoke about why people chose to, to go down that, chose or maybe did not choose to go down that route. But one of the things that happened in the aftermath of the foundation of our state was that a lot of Irish people were influenced, Irish politicians were influenced by this idea that we had to prove ourselves worthy on the world stage, that we had to somehow get out from all of that propaganda that had been published about us by the British for the previous 200 years, that we were lazy, that we were feckless, that we were alcoholics, that we bred like rabbits. Those really hurt um, Irish people all around the world and still do. Those stereotypes mm. are still in place in a lot of, a lot of people's eyes around the world. Um, and to kick back against that, a lot of politicians decided, well, you know what, we're actually going to be the holiest most okay. moral, most Catholic place across the country, across the world. Hmm. Um, I remember reading this, something at the time as well. We did that one of those podcasts and it was like the, the association of cleanliness and like, you know, they used to talk about race being like, you know, the Irish race being a very strict and like very clean race of people. So it was like back in the Roman times. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in and the like, Roman times. Irish people were described as um, extremely beautiful mm. and that they took care of themselves very, very, very well, like as in they washed their hair, which was unusual for certain people back then. Um, but they were described as extremely beautiful. And that all began to get twisted by, say, like the reign of King Henry VIII in the 1500s, when he was mm. like, I want that country. And the best way to get that country is to make people think that the people in that country are shit. Are dirty. And that's but, what I'm going to do. You know, it's so funny. Not funny, but it's, it's um, like one of the tenets of like my family is like how clean my grandmother was and it's like it was such a hugely important like cleanliness was just like I mean my mother is still such a clean woman but like cleanliness is next to godliness the cleanliness was huge like and they didn't have much like there was no it was just like a bare concrete floor but it was just like my mom always talks about like you could eat the, the, the dinner off the floor because everyone had to be like clean and this is like country Ireland in the 1950s you know so like she had been she had accepted and was living out that like propaganda of like cleanliness is godliness yeah and this kind of continues throughout um th throughout the foundation that the real kind of making of the state which was probably from like 1922 to like 1940 Mm -hmm. that was when they laid down what what we are going to be and how we are going to represent ourselves on the world stage you know now I should say just for our our non-Irish listeners that during the those 20 years as well um Eamon de Valera and other members of the government were slowly dismantling the treaty 
So they got rid of the governor general. They got rid of the oath of allegiance to the British king. Mm. And eventually in 1949, Ireland became a republic, which it is Mm. today, and was completely broken from the British Empire. So all that is going on at the same time as this rolling back and pulling and taking away of women's rights. So one one writer um, in the Irish Monthly said, women have but one vocation, the one for which nature has admirably suited her, that of wife and mother. The women's duties in this regard, especially that of bringing up children, are of such far-reaching, far-reaching importance for the nation and the race that the need of safeguarding them must outweigh almost every other consideration. So your consideration of your mental health, your consideration of your physical health after having 12 babies, the consideration of you as a person being a separate entity from a mother just did not did not factor into to any of these uh, pieces of legislation. Your to be a patriot, to be patriotic to the country is to serve the country in this way, which, by the way, was also what the Nazis used to do, where they mm-hmm. used to give prizes to women for having children and being yeah, great mothers. Mostly needed wives. it too. Yeah, and they're actually doing it at the moment in Hungary. Mm-hmm. At the moment. Yeah. Um, so Kathleen Clark, who we spoke about before, um, was senator at this time, and she railed against the, the 1936 Conditions of Employment Act, which restricted the employment of women. And she said the proclamation gave to every citizen equal rights and equal opportunities. And if you legislate against one section of the community, where are the equal opportunities provided for in that proclamation? She was essentially just ignored. It was, and it wasn't just mainstream political women who campaigned against anti-women legislation. In the first two decades of the Free State, huge numbers of organisations like the National University Women's Graduates Association, the National Council of Women of Ireland, the National Irish Workers, Irish Women Workers Union, resisted, tried to resist the anti-women policies of the state. While longtime feminists like Hannah Sheehy-Skeffington, Kathleen Lynn, um, were unwilling to accept the erosion of any of their citizenship rights, but they were abandoned by their male trade union colleagues. So obviously Labour would be the main trade union party in Ireland. And prior to the conditions of Employment Act, um, you know, if the men went out, the women went out. If the women went out, the men went out. Um, Mm. But after that, they were pretty much abandoned by their um, male Labour and trade union leaders. And Helena Maloney, who was a trade union member and a former member of um, Come on the Mont, said that a capitalist minister is setting up barriers against one set of its citizens and that she was disgusted with the Labour leaders. Um, The Irish Women's Workers Union held a meeting in the Mansion House where it was noted that this bill, the employment bill, would create more poverty by piling on the miseries of unemployment on women. And they were right. Um, Women in Ireland remain still to this day um, less valued by their employers than men. Mm. And up until the 1990s, there were less, far, far less women worked. You know, I think if most of our listeners here who are from Ireland here think that their mother worked when they were young, usually not, because it was very hard for a woman to get any kind of a job that would fit around um, her childcare, because we we know that in Ireland that was deemed to be the woman's domain. Mm-hmm. The woman has to take care of the children and take care of the childcare of the children, shall I say? 
Um, Hanashihi Skeffington described the constitution as a fascist model which would relegate women to permanent inferiority. Mm. And Article 40.1, which is the article that our podcast is named after, which states that a woman's place is in the home, mm. Hanashihi Skeffington said, to place this places women in a different category of citizenship from men. And it's true. This ideal Irish woman, respectable, married, domestic, who knew and accepted her place in society, served the interests of the ruling male elite. It serves their interests to keep the women at home and keep all the power yeah. for themselves and to re-establish the gender boundaries and hierarchy after the promise of equality and the experience that women had of freedom during the revolutionary period. And again, I compare this back to British and American women after world, actually women all over Europe and America after World War One and World War Two. Right, when yeah, they like were, the 1950s, the housewife. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. The extreme feminization of women after these periods of relative freedom, you know, mm-hmm. and the idea of get back in your box. Yeah. Um, any of our listeners here who have listened to our, um, our podcast on representation of women in film will remember that women ruled the film industry in America before the 1920s and when the men came back from war they were told to go home yeah out with you precisely so this gendered ideology was to affect the lives of women and the position of the female worker in Ireland legally and ideologically until quite recently and so for example that gendered ideology still impacts on our lives today the gender pay gap is in a large part as a result of the marriage bar Mm -hmm. you know the women weren't there to make the money and when they did come into the the employment service even after the marriage bar had gone in the 70s there was still a huge expectation that you're either going to give up your job when you're married or you're going to have so many children that you will essentially be forced to give up your job because you have so many maternity leaves right um and it is like the necessity for gender quotas in politics and academia is in part a, legis- a legacy of the anti-women workers legislation that were passed in the first decades of the Irish Free State to mm. say that our government has to mandate and say you must employ X amount of women in academia. You must employ X amount of women in politics or that they even have these targets, you know, that they want 20 percent of the doyle to be like 50 per- 51 percent of the population of Ireland are women. Mm-hmm. And yet we only make up like. 16 or 17 percent of the doyle Mm -hmm. you know it's not just women that are it's not just men that are voting for these men Mm -hmm. women are also voting for these men and i do think in part it's candidates are not standing like yes there's not very many women yeah it's a pipeline issue as well And again why is that yeah because because it doesn't look very you know women aren't treated well when they get in and stuff i think what as we've spoken about before i think what we don't are what something that is overlooked and actually is coming into the public conscious now more because of the whole Robert Watt thing but the the effect of not having women in those um civil service positions because like the administration of our country is run by civil servants and they are really powerful as you can see um and they are in big bucks and the pipeline was blocked for women up until what the 1980s so like late the 1980s? marriage the marriage bar was like 1974 1975 mm. 
And then obviously you had to wait another like five years for that to be effective on the labor market, because why a lot of women, that is how they saw it, was why am I going to go to college to work for two years to get married and be forced to leave my job? Yeah. So and you I had to wait like for a whole cycle of women to go to college and graduate from college right, before yeah. it would affect the labor market, you know? Yeah. So and like even then. Talk- there was no proper, sorry to interrupt you, but there was no proper access to um, to contraception. So even if you did go in after the marriage bar, you are going to miss, you know, six years of work. For some people, 12 years of work because you're pregnant or nursing um, and because you, it's deemed that you should stay at home for that. So you're 12 years for some people, you know, you're 10 years behind your male colleague who started at the same time as you and is now five pay grades above you. Yeah. And so like you know? the, the, the knock-on effect, you're probably talking about really by the time women start being, like, it would be great to get numbers in this, but by the time women start really coming, being employed en masse in some services, probably the 90s. And yep. then by the time that trickles upwards, not trickles upwards. But We're not even there yet. No, we're not even there yet, you know. And we see and this how is why, there. Yeah, and this is why you you have things like, for example, that they just uh, during the abortion referendum, you know, they were saying that you were going to be able to access abortion in you know four hundred places around the country or whatever. And then they realized that there are some doctors out there who won't do that, and mm-hmm. that wasn't even a consideration until people brought it up. So it's at these meetings there are no women, there mm-hmm. are no women's voices to say actually that's not a good idea because of this reason um you know it kind of reminds me of um when the Met Police came out and said that uh, if a police officer approaches you by himself you should refuse to go with him Mm -hmm. do you I'm sorry have you ever met a marginalized person of color Mm-hmm. Exactly. Can you imagine a marginalized person of color deciding that they're not going to go with the single police officer? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's going to go down really well. Yeah. You know, exactly. these and that's because there was probably no people of color on the board that made that stupid statement and stupid decision. You know what I mean? And if you know you you can't you can't change things unless you're in the game. Yeah. Um yeah. And, and that is to. essentially what happened. That's essentially what happened to the to the Irish women. They can we continue to deal with the impact of these anti women ideologies that underpin the formation of our state. Access to contraceptives and full reproductive rights were only resolved in the nineteen nineties, and it took until two thousand and eighteen for them to realise that women should have control over their own reproductive rights. Mm. Rant over. <laughs> um, if you that are was, interested yeah. in what we're if you're interested in what we're talking about here, guys, please do drop us a message on any of our socials. Tina's on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. And um, yeah, so just overall, I think that we can really see here that the bricks that our, our state were built on were shitty, shitty bricks. Mm. And they're having a massive effect on us now. Um, I think it's just, I think that realisation of... <sighs> women didn't vote for this state and what the after effects of you know of that which we haven't really discussed in full but we will you know at different points and we're getting making our way through it 
it cannot be understated and um it makes i think it makes far more sense you know it, it makes me feel not comforted comforted but i certainly have a, a i'm like right okay like that's what happened and it's just partly you know knowledge is power in the rest of it so i think um you know everyone when they hear the term the people voted you can be like excuse me but excuse actually me, no. no that's not true yeah. Okay, so we only have a less than a minute left for this um, recording. So thank you all very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.